0: This episode of Everything About Hydrogen is brought to you by Biotech On-Site Hydrogen. It's official. The hydrogen economy is here. The global transition to clean energy is gathering momentum and it's clear that hydrogen will play a critical role. Biotech offers modular, scalable, and rapidly deployable hydrogen production systems through sales, rentals, leases, and gas as a service to customers worldwide. If you're interested to learn more, visit biotech.us to find out how Biotech can help you produce low-cost, low, or zero-carbon hydrogen today. From the Hydrogen Media offices in Washington, D.C., this is Everything About Hydrogen. I am Andrew Liedem, General Counsel at BayoTech, and joining me from a few blocks down the road here in Washington is Patrick Malloy, Senior Associate in the Breakthrough Technologies Group at RMI, and Chris Jackson, CEO of Proteum, calling in from London. On today's episode, we will be chatting with Alex Ivanenko, CEO and co-founder of Highpoint. Highpoint is a leader in the development of high-temperature PEM fuel cells for groundbreaking applications in the zero-emissions aviation space. We are very pleased that Alex made the time to sit down with us, and we cannot wait to get him on the line and share our conversation with our listeners. But before we get into it, we just like to remind everyone that if you have any questions for us here at Everything About Hydrogen, please shoot us an email at info at h2podcast.com or give us a shout on twitter at, at about hydrogen let's get this episode started all right guys we're back chris you have a beard this is the most exciting thing thus far on the podcast <laughs> looking good man how are things in london
1: god is that the most exciting thing on the podcast our listeners on
0: this episode thus far that's you know, in the in the first 30 seconds of the episode your beard is the most exciting thing
1: okay well uh yes i do have a lockdown beard although probably not appropriate now that we've kind of ended lockdown no i mean it's uh it's all good there's yet. no time um, there's no time
0: there's no better time to try there's no bad time to try out a beard chris that's yeah. my theory
1: well, there we are. So, um, no, it's all good. We have uh, the G7 down in Cornwall, which is obviously very exciting over here. And uh, we've got uh, a imminently due hygiene strategy, which, of course, is the big, big, really exciting piece, frankly. I mean, G7 is 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 got nothing on the UK hygiene strategy coming out. Um, and otherwise, we're just enjoying the fact that we've gone from spring to summer. Sorry, not even spring. What do I say? We've gone from winter to summer in a day. I don't quite know how that happened. We went from sort of very cold to Suddenly, you know, people are humid, and we're really happy we've got AC in offices. So it's all a bit weird. What about you guys? What's life like on the other side of the pond?
0: So the likewise, weather-wise, right? So I mean, we're not basically the same. Same news there. Uh, what, Patrick? We had the announcement this last week from uh, from DOE of the Earthshot Project to try and bring down the price of green hydrogen, uh, which Let's talk about a little. Let's let's talk a little bit about what an Earth shot might be. I feel like that sets a pretty low bar. <laughs>
2: right? oh, uh, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> but um,
0: what it's but, so, but a good but substantively an interesting program, right? We can we can bicker about the uh, the naming problem that they've got at DOE, but <laughs> but uh, substantively very cool no?
2: Strongly in the in the the pitch of ambitious shots, right? Like and you know it's focused you know clean hydrogen so right so it's going to be a, a blue and green kind of approach to it which is you know i suppose you know the beyond anything else it's being pragmatic about the fact that there's going to be multiple technologies in the role and the play here especially here in the us right but also it shows that they're they're serious right like because you know let's let's be honest about it hitting a dollar a kilogram is going to be damn hard but you know when folks start to put the pieces together and start to plan okay but it also i think if, if ever we needed a sign like we have spent most of our time talking about two dollars a kilogram dollar fifty or you know below two dollars a kilogram dollar a kilogram that's the new target and that means that we're not really worried about you know kind of hitting these low actual market access price points that we've talked about in the past I thought, I'm not going to lie, Andrew, you jumped to the earth shot straight away. I thought we were going to talk about COVID ends and the cicadas arrive, right? Like, so uh, the the two (laughs) million. Okay, uh, sorry. I I did jump ahead. I got really excited. (laughs) The the business end of it, which, uh, no, no, it's got to be considered one of the most encouraging uh, forward-looking kind of pieces of, 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 of le- well, I don't know if it counts as legislation yet so much as it's a, an announcement of a target and DOE's plans I don't know how that categorizes or structures but yeah like this is meaningful hugely meaningful and really exciting to see the U.S. get into the game on this stuff and you know in a really truly organized way again
0: I'll have to go back and look at the details again myself but I think they're requesting proposals uh, or at least initial proposals by July 7th which is pretty fast but especially, especially by American federal government standards, that's like uh, you know that is like lightning speed.
1: The one thing someone was pointing out to me the other day, and it was because I think there've been a few articles about this now coming up in the Economist and others, is they're saying you know if for green hydrogen to get down to the cost point, it, it really is a function of the price of electricity, right? I mean, that's ultimately what we're getting down to, right? It's about sort of availability and and uh, accessibility of very very low cost renewable electricity. Uh, a point very well made, obviously, by Alicia Eastman when she was on the show. So. My question, I guess, or observation at the moment is given how much demand there is for things like copper and various other rare earths that we need and various other mining and minerals that we need, not just for hydrogen, but also for batteries and various other forms of energy solutions that we're going to deploy, including more transmission and distribution. have we? How confident are we that we've actually hit the price point or that actually you know, the price of electricity will continue to get much cheaper on this? Because I think... Get the impression that some of the moonshot assumptions assume that we're going to increasingly move to a ten or fifteen dollar a megawatt hour world if we're not already, and stay at that point in the places where we are at that already. How robust is that assumption? And if it's not robust, and actually the cost of those materials will mean certain wind costs may, for the first time in a long time, start to rise again what impact does that have on this moonshot idea?
0: Well, firstly, you need to temper, you need to temper your expectations and realize it's an earth shot, earth shot. We don't have to even make it. shot. not
1: moonshot. Sorry. Yeah, my bad.
0: Sorry, Patrick, you were saying something substantive.
1: No, no, but like
2: it's, it's, it's it's a fair question about volume, but the difference I would say here is that I think we had a world record price out of Saudi Arabia of $10.40 a megawatt hour recently at solar. Um, I think what we're getting into here is, can we reasonably produce below $2 a kilogram hydrogen consistently? And the answer is starting to look like the answer, yes. And then the question is, okay, for green production, where do we have the production kind of criteria or structures to reasonably deliver that? Those are big questions, but it, that's a volume game. So what I, what I would take from this, and I, I would look at this as you know, you know, obviously we're doing a piece of work around the the, the green hydrogen catapult, right? So it's a huge electrolyzer deployment piece, but we're looking at the best in glow best in world standards for
1: production. Yeah, no, Patrick. Sorry, I'm going to cut across you a little bit there. I mean, I think I'm probably leading you down a rabbit hole. I feel like I'm sure we could get much more into the the broader <laughs> mineral discussion piece. I, I it's just always an area of interest for me because my team or Previous colleagues who used to sit next to me at the World Bank. Wrote one of the first reports on, you know, rare minerals and you know what you need for solar and wind and batteries in a two degrees world. And it's just always stuck with me. Um, yeah, it's just, just the numbers are enormous. But uh, yeah, topic for another time. The questions you raise are really valuable.
0: Okay, guys, Chris is right. Rabbit hole we did.
1: Andrew's getting serious. He's got the glasses on.
0: Got my blue light <laughs> glasses on. Patrick, do you want to uh, give us uh, 10 seconds on, uh, on High point before we get Alex on the phone and uh, go from there? Sure. so High Point
2: are, are a PEM fuel cell manufacturer but interestingly they are a high temperature PEM fuel cell manufacturer. They're very concentrated on the, the aviation space and um, I think they're uh, going to be a great a great addition to our aviation related series that we've nearly done so far but but look the, some of the dynamics around, high versus low temp technologies and use cases are going to be really cool to talk to them about and, and to talk through kind of where the best applications or why aviation was particularly a, a target point for, for a technology like this. Um, typically, you see usually a little bit higher efficiencies in high temp uh, systems, but you know you need to manage then the heat system. So very cool, looking forward to it. And uh, I think we should, we should just get into the meat of it with them.
0: Perfect. Let's get Alex on the line. Okay, so Alex, thank you so much for making the time to join us today. I think it would be great if we could just have you start off with a brief background about yourself and about High Point.
3: So hello everybody. I'm really happy to uh, to be here today. So my name is Dr. Alex Ivanenko. I'm the co-founder and CEO of High Point. We make zero emission air transport possible. So High Point, we are developing the next generation hydrogen fuel cell systems, for, specifically for air transportation market, uh, with game changing energy performance. So we are focusing on specific power, on the weight of the system, and uh, trying. And we we do strongly believe that our technology is unlocks, uh, zero CO2 emission aviation. So my, my background, I'm, as I said, I'm Dr. Uh, Alexa Vanenko. <laughs> I'm a PhD in electrochemistry, but build my career in international business development at U.S. corporations like 3M and Oscorning many, many years, where I have been taking projects from R&D stage to fully commercialization, exactly what I'm doing right now at High Point. So, um, we have very strong uh, team, advisory board, so it uh, seems that we have everything to be successful.
0: Excellent. And I think we're just going to jump right into the thick of it, Alex, if you don't mind. Could you explain to us what a high-temperature PEM fuel cell is?
3: Yeah, so thank you very much for that question, Andrew. Uh, first of all, you should understand that there are two main PEM technology is available right now in the market. So, it's a low temperature and high temperature. So the big differences between uh, these uh, two types of fuel cells is the membrane. It's elect- uh, the temperature of the electrochemical reaction. So low temperature means that electrochemical reaction is, operates about 70, 80 degrees Celsius. And high temperature uh, operates uh, at the electrochemical reaction is about uh, 160 degrees Celsius. So this is the main to differentiation between these two types of uh, few cells and of course there are a lot of different in, uh, uh, differentiation in chemistry so because it's a completely different chemistry inside the membrane and etc but the idea of operation and uh, how to say fundamental idea of the of the electrochemical reaction are the same in both few cells
2: I think uh, just to, to kind of uh, frame out the the use case, maybe a little bit. You know, can you tell us maybe a little bit about the the early clients you've engaged and, and kind of what the kind of solution cases, maybe the, the the size and whatnot that you're you're looking to provide in these these early deployment aspects. Like, what's what's the what's the application for this this high temperature PEM fuel cell that you're 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 uh, developing?
3: So, actually, any few cells can be integrated in any, um, how to say, big range of uh, potential applications starting from, let's say, small power sources to aviation. But our focus is only on, as a startup company, we are focusing on a very, very specific market. So, uh, on aviation, it's not, I mean, uh, like a big, big fixed-wing place, but also air taxes, EVTOLs, cargo drones, and et cetera, because we see a lot of benefits which uh, our system based on high temperature membrane can bring to the market and as I said in the beginning so we are strongly believe that is an enabler of that of that market in general
2: maybe, maybe as a quick follow-on to that you know given the the, the size changes the, the, the kind of obviously the weight uh, related challenges between a, a large fixed-ring aircraft versus a like a, a you know an e taxi what, what you know what's what are the dynamics in that system and, and how do you then Kind of manage those as a as a fuel cell provider, right? Like it's it's uh, when people think of aircraft, they think of whether they they know it or not, they think of the the, the standard jet engine and, and a turbine. Um, you know, perhaps it's useful to kind of see how the differences lie in, in those different use cases a little bit.
3: First of all, there are a lot of differences between, uh, let's say, eVTOL and fixed-wing planes because the, this is a completely different power consumption and power profile of the power consumption during the flight uh, and etc. Because, for instance, eVTOL usually uh, consume a lot of power not only uh, during the takeoff region but also in cruise mode. Of course, it's a little bit less than in takeoff, and uh, but anyway, it's still higher. Some could say power hungry. Platform, right? So, if you are talking about fixed wing planes, so they extremely consume a lot of power during uh, the takeoff region, but then when they become to switch to cruise mode, the power consumption uh, of uh, uh, of that aircraft uh, becomes uh, so so in three five times less in comparison with takeoff region. So, and of course, uh, depends on that. Uh, it's directly influenced on the system design. Uh, and we, right now, in our portfolio, we have two customers, and it's a PSAC Aircraft Corporation, who represents uh, is a U.S.-based company, and they represent EVTOL market. AirTex. is are developing uh, really interesting platform. Uh, they called it uh, PA-890. And it's uh, our strategic partner for EVTOL market. And for fixing plane market is Zeravia. So And what I see right now, based on what my engineering right, engineers are doing, so I see this is a completely different design. So, of course, in general, so we have very, very similar system, but they operate completely. It doesn't mean that you can use system from zero area and try to install it uh, in Piaseki aircraft. No, 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 it doesn't work like this. So because you have to modify, you have to modify the system in terms of engineering, and as I said in the beginning, it's a power profile completely different. Difference.
0: So, building off of that, Alex, High Point is uh, High Point's technology is then specifically designed to address these power consumption uh, problems, or what is it that your technology and your product is specifically targeted? What challenge are you guys going after?
3: So, my my, our main idea of um, our product is to increase specific power because air transportation market. So, specific power is the weight of the system, right? So, because air transportation market has very, very specific requirements on uh, uh, on the weight of the system and specific power, specifically, it should be more than 1,500 watts per kilogram. So, and our idea is to provide, um, how to say, high-efficient fuel cell system with specific power more than 2,000 watts per kilogram. And why? Because we are using, we found a solution how to increase that specific power because of high temperature membrane, because of our unique developed bipolar plates inside the fuel cell with highly conductive corrosion resistant materials, uh, With we created a new type of cooling, which we called turbo air cool system that efficiently utilized compressed air for both cooling and oxygen supply. So all that combination of these technologies and uh, provide our customers uh, a lot of I to say a lot of benefits and it's specifically in specific power uh, because our specific power is more than 2,000 watts per kilogram on existing membrane. But right now we are teaming with BSF and we see that their new development in membrane can bring us to specific power more than 3,000 watts per kilogram. And that specific power is correlated with uh, turbines uh, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So we do strongly believe that high temperature membrane uh, and high point. Can bring very very fast uh, to the market full scale system for the real flight, not only for small aircrafts but for bigger aircrafts and etc. And the timeline which we see from Airbus and from uh, Zero Aviation and other big companies. So we see that yes, so High Point re- is ready to satisfy that requirements in terms of timing.
0: Well, you you jumped ahead there. Uh, I, I was going to ask that you predicted my exact question there, Alex. As I wanted to talk about this timeline, <laughs> the timeline question, right? And I'm going to hand it back over to Patrick. But I think I think it's particularly interesting, right? Because when we started this podcast, we put we had Val Miftakov from from Zero on here not too long ago, probably a year and a half or almost two years ago. Uh, right at the very beginning, and we classified that episode in our weird and wonderful possibilities down the road. And in that intervening time, uh, the the timeline for aviation solutions in the fuel cell and the the hydrogen fuel cell industry has just accelerated dramatically. And I, I would... Curious if you felt the same way or if you saw that coming when you, <laughs> when you started working on this. Probably you did, but uh, I wonder if the pace of development and the pace of uh, rollout is something that has surprised even you guys.
3: So you know that I, I said in, in the beginning that uh, when we were in a private conversation that we just closed our round, right? So And uh, the most frequently asked question in, regarding, Alex, what is your main risk of your project? And my main, major risk right now is timing because we have to find a lot of engineers, we have to execute all our, our ideas and etc. So for me, I don't see any fundamental limitation in our technology, in our product. Timing is the most challenge we have right now. And that is why we are fundraising, we are hiring additional resources, which can bring our ideas, bring it to reality. For instance, last uh, few months, we hired 10 engineers in the team, 10 engineers, additional 10 engineers who is working every day more than 12 hours a day and developing a next generation hydrogen fuel cell system because also we have with our customers Second, and Avia, we are speaking with a lot of top tier guys too so and they require us to provide them a solution as soon as possible and we are doing all our best to do so and this is our plan
2: I suppose maybe coming back to the to the very beginning right given given the expansion and the the growth that you're 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 flagging there as well as the obvious challenge right that, that that timing poses you know how how did the how did the company come about how did how was it created and i suppose thinking about that timing challenge and 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 obviously the need to to grow and scale as the the market emerges you know who who are the the current backers if you can if you can share that um just interested generally how, how you came to this point
3: it's absolutely a good question so uh we started our journey in 2018 so we started from developing the best in the class few cells for small drones and robots and uh that product allowed us to get all necessary technology and knowledge how to build next generation hydrogen fuel cell system for air transportation needs and uh, that is a main how to say differentiation in comparison with uh, uh, our competitors that we are started focusing on flying platform, right? So we came from small drones and and robots market. So again, it's a flying platform. And right now we are building high power system for air transportation. So, and in our portfolio right now is more than fifteen investors, fifty investors, five zero, and it's uh, different types of individual investors from uh, different continents. So we have uh, two venture funds from South Korea, from uh, from the United States too. So we have a couple of angel groups from um, Silicon Valley based and etc. So uh, we right now have a lot of uh, interesting investors in our in our team in our cap table too. And, um, and their network is also kind of say it's really, really inspired me because we have an access to and back doors to any company, if people would like to contact.
0: Alex, I think you've probably uh, covered in in some amount of detail, the the core market focus question that we had for you. So I think we're going to, we're going to accelerate our, our question timeline. We can come back to that if you'd like, but. How does High Point intend to achieve commercial scale operations? Where, you know, where is it looking geographically? What markets are you guys geographically? What markets are you looking at? Where do you see the most progress? You know, what what geographic markets present the most interesting uh, opportunities for you guys?
3: So at the moment, what we see, uh, we we have kind of say uh, entity and the headquarters in the United States in the Silicon Valley, and but uh, recently we incorporated company in the United Kingdom. Because we see that um, there are a lot of initiatives uh, in hydrogen aviation, uh, which supported by government and Boris Johnson. You know that they announced their plan to invest a lot trillions of dollars in uh, hydrogen renewable innovation and zero CO two emission aviation specifically. So, and I would say that right now, UK becomes a uh, capital of hydrogen aviation. So because uh, a lot of companies, if you would like to be, if you would like to presence on that market, you must be in the United Kingdom. So that is why, for instance, we made a decision recently to cooperate with um, uh, with one of the universities in the, in the United Kingdom. And we are going to build R&D site and uh, our first facility in the United Kingdom. And uh, But of course, uh, we have R&D site in, in uh, the United States. Uh, we have... Historical R&D sites in Russia, because we become from from Russia initially, but yes, our focus. So there are two main markets, uh, which we see: the United States, uh, United Kingdom. Because, uh, in the United States, it's a historically, uh, kind of say, very well developed aviation. So it's a small, small aircraft business and such. And actually, I've just started to live in the United States and have already submitted an application for getting private pilot license. <laughs> so without, without that, you cannot understand that market, right? So, and I would like to be at the same page with my, my customers and, uh, United Kingdom, as I said, and Asia. So that is why, for instance, my, my last investor who invested huge share in the company, so they came from uh, South Korea, and South Korea is also very, very active in urban air mobility uh, industry. So, and uh, I think this is the three main market segments where we have to be uh, in, in, initially. But, of course, right now we are focusing like R&D and uh, manufacturing facility in the United Kingdom and the United States at the moment.
0: I'll, I'll follow up on that question, which is a, I have a question of personal curiosity, which perhaps we'll have to edit out. But I'll see what your answer is and see if you think that's an appropriate question. We've had Paul Arimenko from uh, Universal Hydrogen, Val Miftikov uh, at ZeroAvia, and now you, Alex, uh, from High Point. There's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting trend there that the leaders in this aviation innovation space are all Russian. <laughs> I'm just curious, did Russia miss the boat here by not allowing I,
3: I would say that <laughs> Russian speaker. Russian Russia speaker.
0: Paul Paul is Ukrainian yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. That is yeah. correct. Yes, absolutely. No good point. Fair point. Uh is that does that surprise you that uh that this is a, a trend in the aviation sector in hydrogen, or am I uh <laughs> am I just drawing a, a connection that I shouldn't be?
3: So actually, I don't know. So I think it's uh, it's happened by chance, uh, of course. But uh, you should understand that. Uh, so I, I, again, uh, there are a lot of uh, great engineers in aviation. In became uh, from Russia. It's a Russian engineering school. It's not bad actually, especially for for aviation industry. So that is why I think uh, we um, so right now is the leaders, uh, leader of the companies, right? So, uh, it's, it's the Russian guys, (laughs) Russian speaking guys. And, uh, yeah. So, but I think it's uh, it's not it's not a trend actually. And uh, so I think there are a lot of uh, different companies uh, you haven't spoken yet who is developing uh, not the same uh, but similar products, right? So I mean, who is also would like to acquire some portion of the market in uh, in air transportation, and they are completely founded by U.S. guys or Chinese guys, and etc. So it, it, it's, a just, uh, it's just, just of a it's just just
0: a I'm just yeah, yeah I'm just drawing a, a pattern that probably probably is not there. <laughs> okay, this okay. Sorry, Patrick, I had to jump in no. and ask. That's that's that's
2: okay. That's that's an interesting theme you're seeing out here. So why not? Um, <laughs> I think I think maybe to, to 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 speak to a different theme and a different question that I I often hear around aviation use cases and and that is around kind of concerns around supply. And, and, you know, obviously, when an aircraft takes off, you have to fuel it. But when it lands and then wants to take off again, you have to fuel it. Um, you know, how much is that risk factor and the infrastructure slash supply side something that, that you see or hear spoken about? And how much kind of concern does that draw in, in general kind of conversation around the aviation space?
3: Yes, of course. This is a very, again, uh, very commonly asked question regarding uh, what's the infrastructure, is there lack of infrastructure, hydrogen will never, so it's, you should build a lot of pipelines, blah, 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 blah. So I, I heard about that many, many times. So, but actually, for me, it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal, uh, because right now, yeah, so if I talk about like a, a private refilling station, of course, it's a bit complicated to build. Right, so uh, like a gasoline station to create the network of such stations, but for airports, it's uh, I think any airports right now has all necessary certificates to use any uh, any dangerous and flammable gases. So, by the way, you should understand that hydrogen, oxygen, natural gas, propane, and etc., based uh, allocated in the same group of flammable gases. So, if you get uh, some certificates for uh, using propane. In uh, in airport infrastructure, it means that you can use hydrogen. You don't need to get a special certificate. Oh, oxygen and propane, of course, is dangerous. But hydrogen, you should get a special certificate. No, 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 <laughs> it's a, it's the same rule and and etc. So, and actually, I'm 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 living right now in Silicon Valley, and I'm using Toyota Mirai car. So it's a private use. I don't need a, I don't need to get a special license to refill my car. So it's, it just takes uh, about three, five minutes, and anybody in the world can use that refilling stations. And actually, the in, in personnel in, uh, uh, in the airport, they are absolutely, how to say, ready to use uh, such, uh, such fuel in, uh, in their business processes. Because refilling um, Toyota Mirai and Standard Card very, very similar. So no big, uh, no big differences, actually. And, of course, it's a bit longer, as I said, perhaps three, three, four minutes more. But for aircraft, it should be the same. And moreover, for instance, Universal Hydrogen, they offered a very, very interesting concept, right? So it's like a capsule approach. So you don't need to think about that. They will deliver uh, hydrogen in tanks in, in the airport, and you just need to substitute and replace. Empty to to fit it once. I think it's... Uh, it's a how to say overestimated issue, overestimated concern. I
2: I have one last quick question, which Damn is given 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 Alex, <laughs> that you're getting the last
0: question, Patrick.
2: <laughs> no, no chance, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> no, just just given that you're getting your pilot's license, um, what will be your first hydrogen fueled flight?
3: So it's a good question. Um, I would like to have a dinner in um, something in a in great place. So okay, when I can fly 400 miles from Palo Alto. so so it will be it will be good good idea.
0: So a, a particularly good restaurant within a 400 mile radius.
3: But but you should understand I I've, I've just started i just started so it's uh, I'm uh, in the in the beginning in the beginning of that process. So it usually takes about one year right so to get a pilot license. But Actually, is uh, again is correlated with our timeline <laughs> when we have to deliver full scale product for the real point.
0: Fantastic. Well, Alex, you've been very generous with your time, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on the on the podcast. And uh, we uh, look forward to following High Point, seeing your guys' progress, and uh, hopefully seeing you you flying in the skies soon.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I also hope so. Thank you very much. This
0: episode is brought to you by on Onsite Hydrogen. We all know the transportation sector is facing increased pressure to transition to zero emission solutions. And uh, to borrow a phrase from our dear friend Patrick Malloy, this is the thing. Hydrogen provides a clear pathway to decarbonization. Biotech offers its customers turnkey solutions for hydrogen supply that enable vehicle manufacturers, transit agencies, fleet operators, and logistics organizations worldwide to adapt to climate regulations and produce hydrogen for fuel cell electric vehicles at prices that compete directly with diesel. To learn more about how Biotech can help you produce low-cost, low- or zero-carbon hydrogen, visit Bayotech.us today. All right, guys. So Alex is one of our better uh, speakers for brevity. So, but nonetheless, covered quite a few uh, quite a few topics, which is uh, which is really excellent. Super interesting conversation. So let's start with Chris, since Chris bailed on us for the actual interview. Let's start with him and get his thoughts on what Alex had to say uh, in the interview.
1: I like how you managed to throw me under the bus, there. No, um, I think that understanding the piece around. Differentiated fuel cell applications for different mobility elements is super important. And I think one of the things that will have caught a lot of people off guard and actually caught us a little bit off guard, or certainly me off guard, about talking to Alex was the fact that there even is a category of high temperature PEM fuel cells. I think people have barely got their head around the fact that there's a PEM fuel cell, a solid oxide fuel cell, you know, a phosphoric acid fuel cell, and all the other sort of variants in between and alkaline. And now they're being told, well, actually, there's a high temperature PEM and there's a low temperature PEM. And um, I'm sure we'll probably get a listener asking if there's a medium temperature PEM. Um, but, but it is interesting, right? And and actually makes sense as well. And I think Alex talked very well to the fact that, you know, within the context of the aviation world, that power requirement is just very different. You know, and you can imagine there clearly is a cost element that comes into that as well. And he didn't talk to that and steered clear of, steered clear of that theme. And, you know, I think you, the fact that they're hinting at first operational prototype in the next sort of 12 months as well gives you kind of a sense that, um, again, the costs on this um, are relatively, you know, unknown. And I think the other piece that would have been interesting to maybe get into, but it's always difficult with these things, is we are now quite comfortable, I think, as an industry with PEM fuel cells in the lower temperature range. There is a lot of good operational data around those systems. We have a lot of reliability in those systems. And actually, those are the critical components for something like aviation. The system has to work and work for a long time. Uh, I'm not so sure how with a high temperature PEM fuel cell, how much nuance there is in that, how sort of much of the lessons from low temperature PEM and reliability of that carries across and actually how easy it will be to convince investors or insurers or even regulators that they are comparable, even if the data says that the difference isn't much. So I think that's a whole can of worms to be open there. I think other two points that stuck with me, uh, I'd be interested know your thoughts on it. One was the cap table. You know, she so talked about 50 different investors, um, venture from South Korea and from the US, but also talked quite a lot about high net worths. Uh, I think it's a story that's not told enough at the moment, how much high net worth investing is going on in a lot of early stage companies across the broader hydrogen ecosystem. And not just hydrogen, I should say, the broader clean tech system. And actually, it hasn't really been VC in, in a lot of the early investment cases. A lot of VCs got burned very badly in the first clean tech wave. So it really has been. I know and family officers that have led this charge this the second wave if you like and the third piece was your markets comment that you asked andrew um, i thought it was very interesting that it's a us company you've got biden talking all about you know applications there you know the team are russian with russian engineering and they're going to the uk and you know, it is quite interesting right and obviously part of that is following Avia, but you know the uk does have a very strong aviation heritage but yeah i i think it's there's a reason why universal hydrogen zero avia hypoids and people like gkn are all doing hydrogen w- aviation work in the uk and suddenly, from a very selfish proteum side i kind of have a lot of sympathy with his point that actually on the green aviation side the uk really is a leader on the hydrogen aviation piece but just interesting to get him as a non-brit i you know being cliched you know every country wants to books, their own uh, credentials, but it, quite interesting to get his view that that's also the leading market for him. So I, obviously that's a bit of a jumble of reflections, but um, you know, I thought um, it was a good interview and, and lots to digest. Yeah, for sure. I think I think you know, look, you, you hit a, you hit a pretty pretty interesting
2: point there as well, right? Around here we are, on our, and we've now talked to to three hydrogen aviation focused or hydrogen related aviation focused companies who are very seriously you know like the caliber of the people the the kind of experience they have in the space in both you know general mobility obviously but also in avi- the aviation space this is a, a critical piece and um, it's just very encouraging to see see that universe building out in that way I think that's one of the big reflections that I took. I took from it. Obviously, Alex. Alex got into the a little bit of the weeds around uh, and how um, the the kind of the fuel systems look. I think it, it it some of the it kind of built out a little bit some of the things we heard from from the folks at Zeravia and, and 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 obviously um, Universal Hydrogen around how these systems will need to change depending on the range, depending on the, the design of the aircraft as well. And when you think back to that wonderful, I think it's almost an infographic that Airbus released of three different types of aircraft. Now we actually start to see why those design features and, and shapes and kind of unusual kind of almost futuristic rocket ships and yet a propeller plane also exist in the same kind of universe. I thought it was very cool. I thought I thought we got a lot of a lot of the jigsaw puzzle pieces that maybe maybe we've always been asking about about how aviation actually transitions and this this is something really worth paying attention to
1: i was gonna put Andrew on as well do you think that he answered your question alex answered your question on timeline because that was the one piece that i thought you asked a great question and i think he completely dodged it you know being direct about it and i thought that was a really good question from you
0: okay so uh, uh in all fairness to alex you know the, those timeline questions I love to ask them because I'm really interested in getting those those answers. But as I think we can all reasonably relate or at least, you know, give give some leeway here. Very difficult to answer those kinds of questions. I mean, what I was so I would say that Alex did (laughs) did his level best to answer that question, Chris. I just think the aviation space has been changing so quickly. And I think that's if I recall correctly on that question, that's what I was asking about is that that aviation timeline seems to keep getting truncated more and more rapidly than I would expect. You know, the pace of acceleration in that world is what I keep referring to when we have these aviation guys on, on the show. Um, I, I think it moves. And, but, and, you know, maybe that's just me as being sort of an outsider from the aviation side of things. I think it moves so much faster than I ever would have expected and I would actually one of the things I wanted to ask you guys, and and particularly Chris, because I think this is probably the world you know better than than Patrick and I by by leaps and bounds, certainly by me, with regard to refueling infrastructure. Obviously, that's not necessarily Alex's world. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he has some great insights, and he gave some some thoughts on that. But what, what are you seeing? I mean, I know this is something you work pretty pretty deeply and pretty consistently on. You know, I I follow Universal Hydrogen fanatically because I think uh, Paul and his team are super interesting, as are all of these guys. But, you know, I've been following their posts and uh, their progress. But and we're seeing a ton of, you know, they they constantly drive home the point that most of this uh, aviation carbon emissions from aviation are coming from short haul and medium haul flights, which are at smaller airports. So I, I what I guess I'm going to ask you, Chris, is what kind of progress are you seeing or what kind of interest are you seeing at smaller and medium airports (laughs) sized airports for refueling infrastructure are things like universal hydrogen and their capsule technology is that gaining some some ground or are you seeing more and more interest in in deploying localized refueling infrastructure how is that looking how's that evolving from where you said is that a fair question, or would you rephrase that?
1: Uh, well, just maybe some context for the audience that are not aware. So, Proteum um, is uh, leading the green hydrogen feasibility infrastructure piece for Zero Avia in their future flight program in the UK. Okay.
0: I'm not even sure I necessarily knew that. So I don't know if I can ask you that
1: question. So, so uh, it's called Project Heart. It's funded under the government's future flight program. And so essentially, you know, if we take Zero Avia to be the most developed hydrogen aviation company in the world to date, because they've got flying prototypes, we are built basically designing, and um, you know, working through what the ground refueling infrastructure um, and production storage looks like for commercial flight of their 19 seater craft um, so you know if you like leading on the first green hydrogen actual feasibility with operational craft in the world so necessarily that means a lot of the stuff we're looking at there isn't a clear blueprint you know there are a lot of countries in the world that have done studies around airports the ati did a very good one the other day roland berger's done a lot of very good studies in the space so mckinsey but it's quite abstract in some ways Right. Because it's not specifically focused on a airport and it's not. um, And it's trying to cover multiple different craft. What's actually much more complicated is is the regulation and specifics of how each in each and every airport individually is configured. And it is extremely technically complicated. Um, There are so many moving elements to this not to mention just the legal structures that already exist around the refueling of aircraft in airports. So uh, it is not easy by any means. Hey, lawyers, man. <laughs> um, no, but it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I, I think people just have this idea that you can produce hydrogen and, you know, people just be able to sell it at the cheapest price into an airport. And it has very little reflection on the scale of challenge. I mean, so the ATI report that came out recently, for example, was saying... Oh. If you wanted to have a large-scale cryogenic hydrogen supply for an airport the size of Heathrow that was you know available, you know, Heathrow uses about 120 megawatt continuously of electricity according to the ATI paper. A cryogenic facility to be able to provide you know a meaningful number of those crafts with hydrogen for aviation. I'm just putting up the exact number so I get this right in front of me now. I think it was something like 150 wide-body aircraft. Um, that number to get that same volume was uh, nearly 300 megawatt right? Just for the electron, uh, just for the liquefaction site, right? So, you know, effectively you need to have completely new build power plants. You need almost entire SMR modular nuclear plant to do enough liquefaction for a large scale airport like that. It is unbelievably complicated. So, and the timelines on that are long. And that's why I thought your question is really good because it is one thing to do compressed hydrogen and bring that in and do small amounts of refueling for a small number of craft. It's quite another to refuel large numbers of aircraft with compressed to move large amounts of capsules to and from and to have different pressure hydrogen and cryogenic and maybe a another fuel like synthetic aviation fuel because you could imagine an airport where you've got jet fuel synthetic aviation fuel uh, liquid hydrogen and compressed hydrogen and at the moment they've only got one (laughs) <laughs> so the complexity is is, is staggering, um, but obviously we're working through it with with partners there. I don't think that's something High Point has to worry about. I think High Point just has to kind of get its head around the more basic thing, which is the safety timeline on aviation, right? I mean, bearing in mind, uh, Universal Hydrogen is funded by Plug Power. Plug already have their own fuel cell technology that's well established. Zeroavia um, as well have their own partners. Ballard's done a lot of work with drones and proving that that can operate. Uh, intelligent energy in the uk um were initially involved with some of the zero avia guys but also been working with gkn as part of their h2 gear project so there's already quite a lot of Penn fuel cell companies that have experience of systems that are working and running in the field already working in aviation they're already going to be much better positioned to go through the regulatory piece they're going to benefit from the broader scaling and cost declines going on in space um that's quite a lot to come back from for high point um so I mean, the only saving grace I would say there maybe is that most of the hydrogen aviation companies are American and they do all know each other. And it's interesting that the eVTOL market and the the electric aviation market in Europe is almost all battery electric focused. It's not focused on hydrogen at all. So uh, you you can never downplay those personal links, right? How well each, you know, they all know each other, live together, work in that community. But um, it's not an easy space aviation to be breaking in with a new type of fuel cell technology in a market that's only just getting its head around the idea of fuel cell aircraft in the first place which is why the timeline question for me i thought was a good one uh I, that would be the thing i would be most curious to understand and what the backup frankly is because if it's not aviation because of the timeline what is your first route to market that's something else and uh maybe they have that plan and they just don't disclose it but that would be the question i'd want to know
0: Excellent. Well, guys, I do think we are actually running relatively low on time. Patrick, was there anything that we missed that we want to go back to? I know that Chris, Chris and I took a lot of time off of that that post uh, interview conversation. Oh,
2: no, I think uh, I think we've just got from that particular timeline and deployment question. I think we have a couple of episodes that we've got to go. Construct in the future because I have a funny feeling. I know a few people who might well want to talk about that
1: exact issue.
0: Chris, did I, did we miss anything? Did you did you was there something you wanted to touch on that you didn't get a chance to?
1: You know, I have to ask you too because you know, as our as my US correspondent, um, a lot of people are asking about the US and Biden and what is he going to do for hydrogen. And I know a lot of our listeners internationally are very excited about it. You spoke about the Earthshot, um, you know, competition at the beginning of this episode, but Kind of in the final five minutes of wrapping up, I think I would certainly really appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners would if maybe you'd sort of share some reflections on either at the federal level or at state level, what is actually going on on the energy policy side and attitudes to hydrogen.
0: You know, I'll, I'll give you my my short answer on that. I If there is such a thing as a short answer, well, let's give it a try, Patrick. Okay. Let's uh, let's 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 do away with the state side thing just uh, very quickly in state by state, right? So, California as always is going to be leading the way here. So, uh, at last count, I believe there are 54 or 56 bills in front of the California legislature that touch on hydrogen in one form or another. So, I don't mean to give the impression that there are 54 or 56 bills that are all, you know, production or investment tax credit bills for clean hydrogen. There are not. But there are fifty six ish bills that touch on clean hydrogen either as part of utility scale energy generation, part of utility scale energy storage, part of trans- as a transportation fuel. There's of course the you know the low carbon fuel standard, the LCFS system in uh, California, which has its own. set. it's you know that's a CI score, life cycle analysis based uh, carbon uh, alternative fuel. Credit system, uh, which I think we, I think you can reasonably look at that as the system that most, that federally and for most progressive states, looking at hydrogen technologies, likely that's where you're going to see them finding their their base, you know, as sort of a foundation. They'll look at LCFS as a potential way for structuring their own systems, including at the federal level. Uh, put it the bigger, you know, at the bigger picture at the federal level. Uh, it's not necessarily the Biden administration. You know, obviously the Earthshot project with Secretary Granholm over at DOE is super interesting. That's a very recent development. I believe that announcement was last week. <laughs> In fact, it might have been earlier this week. But all you know, all my timelines are now blending together into one single week. So. Like I said, I think requests for proposals and propose, <clears throat> responses to the RFP or RFI side of that are due by July 7th. So that's a pretty rapid timeline. And then with, with the goal of getting clean hydrogen down to a cost of $1 per kilogram at the pump, if I'm not mistaken, by 2030, uh, which is a pretty dramatic, pretty dramatic goal. Now, uh, Chris or Patrick, you may be... May be able to correct me if it's at the pump or where where that price point is, but I believe that's what they're looking for. The other thing that's pending is Senator Carper's production tax credit, which is the 45U that has been proposed. I believe it's got it is in markup right now, so I don't think we'll see any any progress on that until September. That's the likely time we'll actually see that get passed if if things move rapidly by U.S. federal government standards. That's looking at that's a CI score or emissions uh, based credit that can go as high as three dollars per kilogram generated as production tax credit, and then it's graded down back from there. But you have to you have to come very very you have to have a very 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 high emissions reduction score against and they 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 baseline against SMR. Um, so that was I tried to make it short. It was not short. Patrick, did I miss anything? If you did, I didn't spot it,
2: but I, I I sympathize because we went from a little bit of a desert to literally everything everywhere and everybody talking about it. Um, you know, look, the the earth shot as as you speak to, Andrew, you know, a dollar a kilogram, whether you know, look, if that's at the pump and it's a delivered price, wow. Just wow. That's that's gonna be There's going to be a lot to be done to get to that. But why not be ambitious, right? Like um, a dollar on production basis, realistically, that's tough, challenging, sure, but that's where we need to get to, right? Like we need to push below these kind of competitiveness with with gasoline numbers. We need to start looking at kind of how we actually transform these heavy emission sectors, particularly, and obviously mobility and transport is, is part of that, but also things like chemicals, things like steel, um, things like uh, deep sea or deep ocean kind of shipping, one that I, I talk a bit about, but this is a necessary and, and valuable thing that the stuff like the PTC, ITC, PTC credit kind of conversations critical because that's what drove drove the initial investments that that allow us to see the uh, the, the costs that we've seen in terms of uh, electricity in the us fall through the floor for for renewable energy so these you know look, I think we're at the very very early stages here of seeing how this will all play out, but there is a lot of movement in the United States right now and people should be paying a lot of attention to it if they want to to keep keep pace with this market
0: yeah I think that's yeah so Chris. We've flipped the tables on you and given you a very long answer for a short question. But I think Patrick's, I think Patrick's intuition here, is like what he's just said, is absolutely right. And the, the way to summarize it is: we went from zero interest at the federal level, probably six months ago, to there have been like four versions of Senator Carper's bill. You know, Senator Heinrich put one out that was the, the original version. Carper took it over. Wyden has it in his Clean Energy for America Act. They're all trying to fit this into... This, is not, this leaves out what's going on in the House. This is literally just on the Senate side. So keep in mind that the House has their own versions. And they're all trying to fit this into Biden's infrastructure bill. Uh, so it went from zero things happening to everybody frantically trying to get their piece into the infrastructure bill by the end of June, which is rapidly approaching. So... Stay tuned for, uh, for more frenetic developments on that front. Hope that, hope that helped, Chris. That may have just generated more questions than answers.
1: I think almost all of our shows generate more questions than answers, but uh, we can leave trying to answer some of those questions for our guests the next time around.
0: And that does it for us today at Everything About Hydrogen. A big thank you to Alex Ivanenko, CEO of High Point, for joining us all the way from Moscow to tell us about the incredible work he and his team at High Point are doing. And thank you, as always, to Patrick and Chris for their masterful co-hosting abilities and hard work on the show. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. It really does help us promote the show and reach a larger audience. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Till then, all the best from the team here at Everything About Hydrogen.